it is. And all those are, are absolute, uh, and I'm sure some of you have other thoughts as well. Um, let, let me define eternal security for you. And, um, you know, I, I, we're, we're going to head down what Bob particularly said today, um, you know, and what Rex, a combination thereof, is our belief, my belief, let's say it that way, is that salvation is on grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Okay? So if we believe that and we start there, it gets really, really difficult to start imagining that, Phil, you could do have a sin that would take you out of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And so you keep coming back to that. We see scripture that if we don't read the whole canon of scripture, that absolutely leads us that we could be misled there. We, we absolutely could get on those tracks. We can be called Calvinists, which I'm not going into that, but that's what most people would call you if you're eternal uh, security believer. And I think some of those are, I'll just say, mismanaged thoughts because uh, I'm not a Calvinist, but, but I certainly understand that we have many Calvinists in the Baptist church. But the reality is, um, no, I, I'm an eternal security believer in the doctrine. I'm not a Calvinist, and I believe it wholeheartedly as, as we work our way through. Let me give you the definition, and we'll just jump right in. Defined as this, eternal security. Once a person, his or her soul has become quickened by the Holy Spirit, okay, born by the Spirit. By the way, might I just say that you can't get saved until the Holy Spirit reveals that you're lost. Okay, y'all might remember, some of you were saved at such an early age, you might not remember but I do remember at 15, uh, that age group, I don't have like Johnny uh, does over and over, and believe me, I would if I had the exact date and time, and that's why all my kids have got a recorded Bible with a date and time. I don't have that, but I know I was around 15, and I remember recognizing, thinking that I was a good person. I believed in God. Remember, we talked about knowing George Washington and actually knowing George Washington, and we know by the tone of my voice if you know someone you're friends with them you relationship with them but you can know of someone and not really know anything about them I remember I remember that time in my life where I recognized that I was lost and I needed Jesus or I was not going to be uh, in heaven with him I remember that even though I had a head knowledge and that's that that's what it's talking about here once a person's soul has become quickened and recognizing that that relationship is missing, right? All right, once that happens, you're born by the Spirit and justified through faith in Christ and therefore placed in a state of, let me use three words, salvation, regeneration, conversion. That person will, in fact, never lose his salvation. That's what eternal security is teaching, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me give you the Baptist faith, and then I'm going to get off what I taught last week and go to new stuff. The Baptist faith and message, which if you don't know what that is, you can look it up online for everybody to see. It is what Baptists and, 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 and kind of what Tina said, this is a sacred doctrine, actually, it's a sacred paper for Baptists, and it's not easy to change. It would be like changing our Constitution, okay, for Baptists. So it's very well protected. Here, here's what it says. Article, article 4, uh, excuse me, 5, God's purpose of grace. All true believers, and I quote, all true believers endure to the end. Those who God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall preserve to the end. Believers may fall into sin, to Bob's point, through neglect and temptation, whereby they 
they grieve the Spirit, we'll talk about that this morning, impair their graces and comforts, bring reproach on the cause of Christ, and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet, they shall be kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation. That definition, that article is actually made up of a lot of scripture. Very carefully looked over, picked over, and put together. So let's talk. Let's talk about eternal security where we left off last week. Let me ask you guys, um, kind of an, as an introduction to this week, uh, one of the key points as an advocate of eternal security and looking and examining this is people. We talked a little bit about this last week. If your common denominator, Phil, is people, you're making a mistake. Because if you get a common denominator of people, if you watch me, Joe, and you judge salvation, and you judge the book of the word of God based on Jeff Myers, you will be let down. And by the way, might I even say, you can put Billy Graham, Johnny Hunt, pick anybody you want, John West, anybody you want. To Bob's point, we all are sinners. Isaiah, if Isaiah went before a holy God and he said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, I am as filthy rags. If he said that, you and I would say that. I, I, would, I, would, I would garner a guess you would agree with me on that. So if you start using people as your common denominator, and you say, Jeff, why do you say that? Well, here's why I say that. Because most people who will argue with you on this, and let's just say you're both saved. They're saved and you're saved, and you have a water cooler talk, and they say, man, you're out of your mind. You're not studying the word of God right. Most arguments from the other side end up going to Look at this person or look at this person. You cannot use a person as your common denominator. You must use the word of God and the promises of God. And I said last week, God does have conditional promises in the word of God. It's all over the Old Testament. But I just don't believe that the Bible teaches this is one of them. And that's what I'm going to go down. And if you disagree with me, that's great. Maybe this gets you studying and it gets you to form your own opinion. The Bible refers to these people that we're talking about that the other side would use as false believers. Now, you might say, man, that's an oxymoron. Some of you bright people might say that. They can't be a believer if they're false. But God uses that word. It's not Jeff's word. Turn with me to Galatians 2.4. Galatians 2.4. And I'm going to use a lot of scripture this morning because I can't, I can't teach on this and just give you my thoughts without going to scripture, or it just won't hold up. It just won't. It'll just be Jeff's opinion, okay? So Galatians 2, 4. And this occurred because of, read with me, false brethren. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, and they might bring us into bondage. Now, I'm giving you one scripture, okay? Just to give you an idea, I could give you Matthew 7.15. I could give you Titus 1.16 for you note takers. I could give you, and I will give you, Matthew 7.21 through 23. I could give you 2 Corinthians 11.13 through 15. And I could give you 2 Timothy 3.15. All talking about the language of false brethren, false believers, 
You might remember I talked last week, Tony Nolan brought a great message here sometime back, and he titled it, <gasps> you remember? He talked about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I believe it is, he talked about the people that would say, Lord, Lord, yet they won't enter in. Yet they will proclaim, they cast out demons, they preached, they went in Jesus' name, but yet they weren't of Jesus. Jesus said he never knew them. But yet they knew him, like our George Washington example. They knew God, they had a knowledge of God, but evidently in their spirit they never had a relationship with God. By the way, can I stop so no one is thinking right now, the gospel is not confusion. It's not. It's simple. It's what Alan and Rex just did in children in Africa, as I imagine from the pictures, you're teaching the children, and they simply say, I believe. I give my heart to Christ. I believe he raised from the dead. That is salvation. We read all the scripture involved with that. God didn't intend for it to be a confusion, confu confusion and he didn't intend for it to be an algebraic uh, uh, you know, equation. So don't get lost in that this morning. I'm just telling you, there's people that never gave their heart, never gave their soul, never gave a relationship to Jesus, they believed with head knowledge, yet they had no relationship knowledge of Jesus. And Jesus said, not Jeff, Jesus said, these will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yet they produced works, evidently, but their hearts weren't changed. So we can't look at people that remember the subject matter here. Recall in our first lesson last week on the subject, the most shocked people of the Bible. Just think of that. Why did Jesus give us that example? Why? 1 John 2.19, you can turn there if you want, or I'll just read it real quickly because we got so much to cover. Listen to this. False believers we're talking about. Mark, it says, they went out from us, y'all know the scripture, but they were not of us. Y'all get that? They were hanging with Woodstockers, okay? That's the example. They were with the apostles, Joe, but they weren't of Jesus. They weren't of the apostles. You see, you had the Christians, and you had a mixture of false believers. And people were looking at them, and they were going back home. You see, they got filled with excitement of the movement, I would guess, from what I read, yet they weren't real Christians, and that's difficult to understand, but when we read it, we see that John said they peeled off from us, Paul. They, they left us because they really were never of us, and some of us just go, oh, Jeff, I'm just having a hard time. Guys, here's the simplest example I can give you. Judas was with them all the while. He kissed Jesus on the cheek as if he loved him, yet he betrayed him. He was with them, but he wasn't of them. And when I say of them, defined with Jesus in their heart and walking. So we know this exists. We know 80% of Americans say they're born again, but we know in this room that that cannot be. That cannot be. Our country doesn't live the way we should live. Turn with me, and I do want you to turn. Uh, Rex and I will get a laugh out of this because we've talked about this scripture before. Turn to Matthew 13, made famous by a very familiar person. For some of us who've been Baptist a long time and who have heard him speak. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, the wheat and the tare. 
Anybody know who made that famous? Bailey Smith. Anybody heard Bailey preach that before? Yeah. Boy, he'll have, he'll have Johnny question his salvation, won't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Y'all with me? Tell me you're there. Amen. All right, here we go. Listen very carefully because this is where we'll end with people. We're going to move on to another subject. You got to get this. That's why I'm taking three weeks to teach this. I want you to, a year down the road, to be able to tell someone why you believe this, if you do believe it, or study it for yourself. Another parable he put forth to them, Jesus, saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Can I, can I stop there and say this? What we just talked about, false believers, is what he's talking about. Here's the church, the real church, Jason, not defined by the church house, Here's the church, the people who have put their faith in Jesus and are having a relationship. And as Bob said earlier, they're not perfect, Mark. They're just living with Jesus, and they're living day by day and in sanctification, hopefully getting more and more like Christ. But right here, Jesus said someone came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Does anybody know what a tear is? T-A-R-E? Wheat has actual Let's just call it this for simple simplification, farmer's language. Good product in it. When you open a tear, what does it have in it? Nothing. Listen to him. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared, and so the servants of the owner came and said this to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has come and done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Remember, this is a parable. But he said, no less while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both them grow together until harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. There's coming a day where you don't know it and I don't know it, and there may be in this room, there certainly will be in the next room we're in. Tares sown among the church. The Bible says, if you listen to this, the false brethren are brought and the devil has deceived them. You see, he's deceived them that they can say that they're born again and have the promise of heaven but we know from what we've already read in Matthew 7 that the day is coming when Jesus will say to them, Joe, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And they will argue with him and say, but I did know you. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And Jesus will not change his expression. I do not believe. At that point, remember now, fire in his eyes of judgment. The days of being as John called him on the, on the side of the river, behold, the Lamb of God. Now we're looking at the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will not feel sorry for them, I don't believe from what I read. At that point, he will say, you're dismissed. And it's going to be gnashing of teeth, as the Bible calls it. We have a real, real good description of this, and you know this. Because I've taught it in prophecy for those who've been here a while. It's called the sheep and goat judgment. And it's, a, it's, a, it, it's encouraging to us who are true Christians. But it is a heart ripper for those who want your brothers and sisters 
of this world to be saved, where Jesus does the same thing. He separates them, and he talks to them, and he enters them in, right, into the kingdom. And even some of the saved, Joe, will say, when did I feed you and clothe you, Lord, or give drink in your name? You remember the scripture found in Matthew? I think 28, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. And Jesus will say, inasmuch as you did it for these, you did it for me. But then he turns to the others. And that heart relationship was not there. They were for themselves, Philip. They weren't for Jesus. And so they weren't for the kingdom. And he dismisses them. So we have this splitting, this wheat and the tear. We have the sheep goat judgment. You say, Jeff, why do you go into all that? Here's the point. The point is here that true believers never lose their salvation. But many put for, put for the argument of conditional salvation based on actions of false believers. False believers, not true believers. Don't measure by people because there are wheat and tares among us. You must measure by the word of God and put your faith in the word of God and believe in what the God of the Bible says. Okay, so let's move on. Let's say this. What does Paul have to say about eternal security? Does he call it out? Well, let's look. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 1.12. And I'm sure you all know Paul because he wrote most of the New Testament. Let's just look at a couple things. Y'all stay with me now. I know it's a lot of scripture, more than I'm going to read in most cases. 2 Timothy 1.12. All right, here we go. For this reason I also suffered these things. Ne bless you. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he, capital H, is able to what? Able to what? Mine says keep what I have committed to him until the day. Listen to that last sentence. I have believed and am persuaded, persuaded. I, I didn't go back and study my Greek and all that like I would sometimes. But persuaded means to me, he sat down and did what, similar to what I did, I, I don't know, uh, 10 pages of notes. He, he went through the scripture, he knew Jesus, I mean, he was talked to by Jesus himself, and he was persuaded to believe what he's about to reveal, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until the day. Okay, let's go a step further with Paul. Turn to Romans 4.20. Let's just make sure. Let's look at all canon of Scripture. Romans 4, 20 through 21. Here we go. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully, there it is again, convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. Jesus gives us a promise, and Paul believes that not Paul, Andy, is able. You know, he didn't say, I'm able to keep it. I'm reading specifically in different places, different letters to different Christians in different churches. And he said, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep it. You see, if it's dependent on me, like Bob said, and I keep going back to Bob, he's, he, he, he was right on there. 
if it's on me, I lose, Mark, because I'm going to make a mistake. Now, this is interesting, and I'm not done with Paul yet, but it's interesting. I got a question after Sunday school last week. <clears throat> Forgive me my throat here. I got a question, and I think it goes hand in hand with eternal security in the, do in the doctrine we're studying. It's the same kind of question. How many of you have sat underneath someone <clears throat> or sat with someone and they've asked you that all-important question of the law versus what you're doing? Now, now, follow me here. Jeff, I notice you're a teacher in Sunday school, and I, and I know you study a lot. I've heard from other people, and, and I know that you love the Lord. But I got a question. Do you really believe you're saved when you cut grass on a Sunday? Okay, now I'm using that as an example. Jeff, you, you, you know, um, I noticed that you go to church on Sunday, but the Word of God says that the Sabbath day is when you ought to go to church. I mean, we, we can get really detailed. We got children in the room. I mean, if we go into the Old Testament law, we could talk about when do you know, gentlemen, that you can be with your wife and when you can't be with your wife based on certain laws and criteria of purity in the Old Testament. Do you all know that? Because if you don't, according to law. But then the argument is someone steeped in legalism, and some of you are out of the background of legalism for sure, so I want to be careful. Don't go home and slay your parents or your grandparents over this. Listen to me. Listen. Legalism never stopped. It didn't in Jesus' day, and it doesn't today. You can never satisfy a person steeped in legalism. I honestly... Honestly, when I talk to, you, you don't want to kill them in terms of uh, what the Bible teaches. We're, we're to get along with our brothers. But I shake my head sometimes and say, brother, you can't even keep the law, yet you're judging me with the plank that's hanging out of your own eye. And you are casting me down over the law, okay, in the fact that the Bible is very clear. Why was the law given? Schoolmaster to point us to whom? I mean, do y'all get that? The law was given. I'm sorry, I'm off. But I think this goes with eternal security, the same argument. The law was given so we would realize we couldn't perform the law. Does that make sense? Jesus came and the law was abolished. Is the law good? Of course it's good. It's God's law. But God knows you can't keep it. Not one thing in it. Example? Ten Commandments, which, by the way, it doesn't start, stop with the Ten Commandments. It goes on and on and on. And praise God for telling us how to live holy. But God knew. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. He said it. You're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. How many of you can honestly sit here since you've been saved and say that you have not coveted something? Amen. You liked the Corvette out in the parking lot too, didn't you? All right. So if we take that same principle and we're judged by that, you guys have got to stand on the word of God or you will doubt your salvation and the devil, the enemy, will make you feel inadequate and you won't open your mouth to serve him because you will be worried about your own self. It is childlike faith. It's faith in Christ. It's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It's simple formula. You're not perfect. You're called to be holy. You're called to be pure. You're called to walk in the way. The heart will tell you when you're out of line. The Holy Spirit, who we're about to talk to, and I've got to go quick, 
is the one that seals you for that day. It's all on God. Jesus said it is finished, and he meant it. He didn't say, you need to, Andy, do this, this, and this. No, he didn't. If he had done that, he would have told the criminal on his right or left that day, he would have said, well, right now I'm suffering from the world, but you're going to have to get off the nails and go down and do this, this, and this before we can enter you in. He didn't say that. That's the beauty of what was given to us by the Gospels. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And all the man said was, I believe. So eternal security is a little bit the same way, follow me here, in the fact that most people that I've read, I haven't gotten an argument about this lately. I certainly know people that don't believe it, certainly. Um, and I, when I say argument, I mean a healthy argument. I don't mean, you know, talking about theologically sitting down and saying, but brother, but sister, here's what the Bible says. But most people will cast judgment on eternal security, uh, uh, the doctrine, by saying it can't be, it can't be that you're saved if you're doing this and this and this. we got to be very careful because now we're saying Jesus didn't do it all. It's on you. Look at me. Look at me. You are looking at me. Look, look with me at this uh, Romans chapter 8. Very famous verse of scripture. Uh, very famous chapter. If you've not read it, you need to. Um, just turn with me to Romans 8. Let me read something to you real quick and we'll move on. I want to end with a seal of the Holy Spirit that some of you may be confused by. Um, I know that's something I've read many, many times because there is, there are a lot of denominational teachings on that. So, all right, Romans chapter 8, you with me? All right, <clears throat> let's look at, uh, just real quick, verses 1 and 2. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Praise God, man, we ought to celebrate over that. I mean, seriously. I committed sins this week, and you don't need to know what they were. But I thank God that that's right there. There is therefore no condemnation, Joe. If I lost my temper this week, I, I have an advocate that's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus might be ashamed of me at times, and I'm sure he is, but he says, Father, he's mine. He's sealed. He's mine. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law, praise God, of sin and death. Now go down to the, to the verse 38, and I think this is right on eternal security. Listen very closely to Paul. For I am, there it again, persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present. I wish you would underline that one. Nor things present. I'll come right back to it. Nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Did you get that? Well, nothing. I mean, that's what his point was, nothing. But he describes things. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Why did I point out present things? Well, because my friends on the other side of the aisle, as we would say in government, my friends on the other side of the aisle would say against eternal security. That's not what that means. He never said, he never said sin. 
That's true. He never did say sin. Brother, are you reading that and getting the meaning, the feeling, the vibe of what Paul's reading? But you're right. It never said sin. So the argument would be, they would argue that you can fall away, backslide, give me whatever word you want to give me. I don't, you got re, re-lost, I guess. You could backslide, and my, my argument with the people that I've helpfully argued with is, how do you know? How do you know? Wh- where's the line of demarcation, Rex? Because I want to know. And First John says, I can know. Pause with me one second. Turn back to Romans 7. Interesting to me that God supplied this, I think, in the scripture. If you read Romans 7, 20 through 23. It's interesting. Y'all give me a second to get there. Technology's, come on. Somebody read it for me. Yeah, I, I got it. All right. I knew you'd be the first one on it. Now, if I do what I will not to do. Y'all listen to Paul now. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Would everybody agree that Paul's been converted? Boy, has he. But yet, he just told us, Rebecca, man, what I will to do and want to do in the spirit, I don't do. My flesh gets me. Listen to him. He's being honest with his readers here and with us. I find then a law that evil is present with me. Ooh. Now, let's go back to what I read a second. Evil, sin, is present with Paul. Presently, Todd, you are a sinner. In the future, you will be glorified and you will not sin anymore in heaven. You're as good saved right now as you ever will be, but you're still living in a sin flesh Adam suit. Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members. You see, my eyes see that beautiful lady, and sin enters into my mind. Even though I war with myself to walk away, my sin in my mind gives me an act that I might not even physically do, but I try to fight against it, but my flesh just won't let me go here, now, in the present. If we go back to the scripture, which I won't, he said, not even things present. Trust me, Paul was saying, after studying this scripture, that sin is not going to keep you out of heaven once you become saved. Did he say it was all right to sin? Lordy, no. He's struggling with it right here. But he's opening up to us Christians to tell us, okay, real quick, okay, real quick. I talked a little bit last week. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. Not a different, not a different God, just different. We, we learn this as we study. For instance, in, in Psalms 51, just real quick for those who weren't here. Psalms 51 tells us that David prayed, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. 
He had seen the Holy Spirit taken from King Saul. He had seen it. We have, we have proof of that in the Bible. But yet then Jesus teaches us in the New Testament, particularly in Acts, in some of those books there in the, in the early New Testament, okay, when the church was being born, he teaches us that the Spirit indwells forever and never leaves us. So there's a change. So if you are in that place of defense mode of eternal security and this comes on you and you say the Holy Spirit is the seal of eternal security, is the sealer of salvation. Not me, Mark, not me, Jeff, not me, Paul. It's the Spirit. But then they say, well, you can lose the Spirit. And you go, well, no, no, and, and boom, they're flipping to it. Right there, David prayed. He said, Lord, don't let me lose the Spirit. But see, there was a change that took place. Turn with me into Romans 8, 9. Read that for me, dear. Romans 8, 9. Okay. Now, let's look at one more that would give you... Uh, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Um, someone turn to John 14. My voice is about gone. John 14, 16 through 17, please. <clears throat> John 14, 16 through 17. Read that one more time. Okay. Is there any doubt what forever means? Something's changed in the New Testament. You remember Jesus telling them over and over. They didn't understand it. I'm going to send a helper, and he's going to be with you forever. And that helper is going to live inside of you. He's going to dwell inside of you. But that's only the believer. That is not, there's not a going back and forth of the Spirit. The Spirit is in you now. It's how much He has of you, the feelings of the Spirit, right? F-I-L-L-I-N-G-S, the feelings of the Spirit. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.21, and i got to close. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts and a guarantee. Okay. I've got other scriptures, maybe I'll get to them next week, maybe I'll just skip that part, but other scriptures for note takers, Ephesians 4.30 is great, and it tells us when we were the little boy, the little girl, the adult, y'all watching your mind's eye back to your being saved, and I'm looking at myself on the pew at Eastwood Baptist Church, and the Spirit of the Lord said, you're lost, and he knocked, and he said, you need Jesus, you need a faith in Jesus, you need a relationship with Jesus, and I said, Finally, I said, see the white knuckles? You, you remember that? And I let go and said, I believe. And when that day happened, it was the spirit that told me I was lost, Joe. It wasn't my conscience. It was the spirit. And the day that happened, he moved everything in just like a mighty rushing wind and acts. You might not have had the rolling on the floor experience. Some of you did. Praise God. Some of you came out of drugs, addictions, bondages, and stuff, but I was a 15-year-old kid, and I think I was pretty good. But I was lost, undone without God. The Spirit came into my heart, and I got every bit of the Spirit at that point, but my gifts were not fully matured, although Jesus gave them to me, and they're maturing as we speak. 
So I didn't have all the gifts, and some of you got addictions gone. It was a miracle. Jesus just came in, Holy Spirit came in and just dropped some of the things out, and some of you stayed in addiction after you were saved to other things. So it's different for different people, but you got all of the Spirit, all you would ever need. Now you get feelings that drop on you, if you will, not really, but he spreads himself out in you. You have these unbelievable feelings in certain worship services. You have tasks that need to be done that the Spirit comes on and special feelings or indwellings, if you will, are given to you. Here's a great quote. To be filled with the Spirit is to come under progressively more intense and intimate influence of the Spirit. I like that. Didn't say he came in again and you do it again and again and again. You were baptized in the Spirit and you were saved. And now when you need him and you're living right, he comes in full power. Johnny would tell you there's sometimes he preaches where it's difficult. It's dry. And there's sometimes he gets up there and it just flows. And it literally, for those of you who have done that, if that's your gift, it literally is like afterwards your legs are so weak because you've been lifted by the Spirit. Physically, you're tired. You're drained. I've seen preachers literally after they were done just sit down and not talk to anybody. Dry. But God has used them and poured himself out. Those are special times. And God does that certainly uh, today. I got I to stop. Come back next week. Perseverance we'll talk about. We'll talk about the differences. And then we'll end on that. Lord. I thank you for this time. I hope nothing I've said has been confusion. If it has, it's been Jeff in the flesh and not the Spirit teaching. God, pray that the truth would be in these believers. God, help them to sleep at night knowing that in 1 John, as we'll talk about next week, the test of salvation is there, that if they will love their brother as themselves, that they can know that they're a Christian. There are several other things that he asked us about. And said that we can know. John said it. John, the man who walked with Jesus, said that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt we're saved. And once we know, there's no doubt that it will always be with us, even in a moment of sin and backsliding. God, give us your promises. Help us to know them by studying your word. Be with these care group leaders as they minister to people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Grab you a care group.